of 411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of World, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, COVID-19 has demanded that we change a lot of things that we normally would do. Uh, some of the changes have been difficult, some beneficial, and many have been challenging. How are you doing? Hello, and welcome to the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. I'm Beverly Taylor. Today's episode is presented in partnership with the NAACP, Wisconsin State Conference of Branches, and JC Legal Resources Center. Now, I have a very special guest. Of course, it's through Zoom because we are practicing social distancing. And I should say physical distancing. I like that a little bit better. His name is Donahue Peebles uh, III. He is the Chief of Staff and Director of Development in Washington, D.C. for the Peebles Corporation. Now, this is one of the country's few privately held national real estate investment and development companies. They are doing a lot of work, a lot of successful work across the country. We titled this episode, Exploring Commercial Real Estate Development with Peebles. Simple, right? Um, And you may be wondering, okay, you talked about coronavirus at the beginning. What does that have to do with real estate? Well, you know what? Just about everything is affected by the coronavirus. But we're going to talk about a lot of other things as well, such as entrepreneurship, Commercial real estate development, especially by women and minorities, overcoming obstacles in the industry. And of course, we want to know if the company is interested in doing some business in Milwaukee. So we have a lot to cover. So let's uh, let's get started. And thank you, Donahue, for sitting through that long introduction. So welcome. <laughs> no problem, Beverly. It's a pleasure. It's, it's great to be here. I'm excited to cover, cover everything and everything that, uh, that you put forward. Sounds good. First of all, let's lay the foundation because when people hear commercial real estate development, they go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. But do they really? So how do you define it? Absolutely. Um, so the way I like to think about it, the way I like to describe what we do uh, is very, very similar to what a movie director does. He doesn't act in the films. He doesn't hold the camera. He doesn't sit at the computer and do post-production. He doesn't write the score. Oftentimes, he doesn't write the movie. But we place the responsibility of the effective execution of the film at the feet of the director. And a real estate developer is very, very similar. We don't swing a hammer and build the building. We don't design it. We don't sit and and draw it out and make sure that it meets code. Uh, We certainly don't have all the money we need to build it off times. But the responsibility for the effective completion and profitability of the transaction is laid at the feet of the real estate developer. And so what we do is we identify underutilized parcels or parcels that uh, are dilapidated or vacant that could be improved to be something else that would be, say, more economically or socially efficient. And then we leverage our relationships and and our network to identify team members that can help us bring that vision to fruition. So we hire an architect that's just like the writer of a movie. He goes, we tell him exactly sort of what we want to achieve, and he shows us the plans on how to get there. And they're bevy of different engineers and consultants that assist. 
then you know we go out to lenders then they function much more like producers or production houses and they're going to help us find the money and the capital uh in order to effectuate those ends in order to, to build the building that the architect is so happily designed for our instructions and then we're going to go out and we're going to find the general contractor and he's like He's like the actors mm-hmm. uh, and the director of photography. And so they're going to do the real hard work. They're going to be on camera and they're going to make the physical existence of the movie possible. And very, very similarly in a construction project. So they will go ahead and, uh, and ensure that the building is built on time and on budget. And the only, and I think the more substantial difference between real estate development and film is that at the end of the day, it's the production house that often owns the intellectual property that's been created. But in real estate, it's the real estate developer that has the underlying equity interest in the project itself. And that's where we create value and that's where we're compensated. So uh, it's, it's a really fun business. I think it, it, it really uh, requires you to creatively solve problems. Uh, I always like to say, you know, it's a business of problems and, mm. uh, there are only two good days. It's the day you buy the building and the day you sell it. Uh-huh, yep. But uh, I think I think that's the, that's probably the most successful way to, to go about describing what it is I do on a daily basis. That is a great way to lay it out. Very visual, you know. Uh, so thank you for that. That really helps a lot. At the beginning, I was talking about coronavirus and how it affects everything. I was thinking as far as development, um, commercial real estate development, with coronavirus, you know, there's there's one train of thoughts of this too shall pass and everything will go back to normal. I'm not so sure about that. And I'm wondering, will space be uh, a big issue? Uh, people may be thinking more about ventilation and that kind of thing in light of what we've gone through. What are your thoughts? How do you see changes coming? Absolutely. And I think at the, at the tail end of every significant economic contraction, consumer behavior changes drastically. Yeah. Uh, you can look back, many of our grandparents lived through the Great Depression and they have this waste not, want not type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks who've lived through the 2008 crisis, particularly millennials, uh, have this strong sort of disillusionment with the political and social elites. Right to, to the creation or the advent of, uh, of, of sort of a more left-leaning Democratic Party with, with candidates like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who so resonate with young people despite being septuagenarians themselves, right? Every pullback re- event affects people emotionally very, very significantly, and that alters their consumption habits. And, and coronavirus is no different. Uh, and so the question I like to ask myself is, where did this scare people and Mm. what are they going to do to protect themselves? Oh yeah. Okay. With, with that in mind, I think folks are are certainly looking to maintain social distancing, even after the the challenges from the coronavirus pass. And so there'll be, uh, there'll be more of an emphasis on telecommunications, very similarly to what we're doing now and less of an emphasis on business travel. As firms realize that they don't see productivity declines from uh, from employees working from home and they're receiving savings on fixed expenses by not leasing as much office space, I don't see a strong incentive for them to bring people, quote unquote, back to the office. Hospitality that relies upon business travel and conventions are going to see a significant pull. 
feedback and aggregate demand. As you know, folks begin to understand and quantify the risks associated with some of these non-essential large gatherings. Meeting hundreds, if not thousands of new people over a weekend uh, is certainly fun, um, but it does pose uh, significant health risks, particularly in the era of coronavirus. And so those things have outsized effects within real estate as aggregate demand for office space decreases and the needs of office consumers change. Uh, primacy of the localization of, of multifamily residential rentals within urban America uh, will, will likely erode since proximity to work will no longer be uh, a motivating factor for folks who are working from home. They'll look for space and quality of life increases. Certainly, hospitality has its own challenges as tourism uh, you know, has, been, has been significantly curtailed, and we've already discussed business travel. Right. So, so every asset class, I think, within real estate is facing its own reckoning. And, and there's the, the, the task to us, and I think the challenge to us as developers is to say, here's, you know, here's the new landscape, adapt. And uh, it's, it's certainly a, a gauntlet that's been thrown down and it's something that our firm is, is ready, willing, and able to do. Uh, and I think there are, there are some common sense solutions to some of these challenges to get consumers back on the boat. But uh, I think the world that we're looking at, particularly from a commercial real estate perspective, is very, very different from the one that we've been able to operate in, say, post-World War II. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's as they, you know, they coined the phrase and we keep repeating it, the new normal. But um, let's shift gears. And I know the people's corporation is very successful. And I also know that you guys are champions of diversity and inclusivity. Um, In the commercial real estate development industry, there are not a lot of women and probably even less minorities within this. Why is this? And what what's the dynamic going on? I can think of a few things, but you're the expert. So you tell me. Absolutely. And, and there's, there's a saying I, I sort of always like to, to, to reproduce in circumstances like this. And it says the, the struggle of the 19th century was emancipation. The struggle of the 20th century was enfranchisement. The struggle of the 21st century is without a doubt an economic struggle, a struggle with respect to access to capital. Mm. And that is where minorities and women struggle. And I, and I, and I see it uh, in our business, my father is uh, likely the only practicing African-American developer on a national scale. And uh, he's dealt with you know, extreme barriers to entry, even with a 35-year track record of making money for his partners and his investors. And, and you look, and, and, and there are statistics, and they're staggering. You know, less than 2% of private equity money, which, which you know, is in the trillions, is going to minorities or women. And, and so you, you sit here and you wonder, you say, you know, why is that? Right. right? Either it's an economic inefficiency and capital is being allocated in appropriate places, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, the market's determined that, that minorities and women aren't effective stewards of capital. But that position you candidly, I mean, one is exceptionally untrue, but what's what's irksome is that not only is it false ethically and morally, but from a data-driven perspective, the most effective entrepreneurs in the country are black women. Yeah. 
Absolutely. they receive a fraction of the allocation of capital that even black men receive, which itself is an infinitesimal amount of the aggregate capital and certainly a massive misrepresentation of, uh, of our, of our skill sets and, and our abilities. And so uh, the, the challenge that, that women and minorities face within real estate uh, is access to capital because without access to capital, you're unable to consummate transactions. And so what that's forced people to do is, is get creative and uh, work alongside municipalities or governments uh, that have a sort of discrete social agenda uh, it, it, that's, that's focused on empowering minorities and women. But what's, you know, and, and, that's, and that's important and it's good for the role of government to do that. But what still remains unfathomable is that the market forces and the market, that market actors aren't making the rational choice to deploy the capital with those people that have the highest chance of success. Mm, okay. And you're talking about, when you talk about municipalities, uh, that that partnership is where municipalities have a rule that with their contracts that they bid out, there has to be like 17% minority participation, that kind of thing. That's, that's exactly right. And, and some, and some municipalities do that, but what you'd be surprised to know uh-huh. is that overwhelming majority of them do not. Mm. So, so what you'll get is little bits and pieces of the pie, little crumbs that fall off that are over publicized, you know, that we gave this contract to this minority contractor and, and they get a big press conference. But what you don't see in the media is, you know, the billions and hundreds of billions of dollars that are going to the entrenched white firms that have you know, benefited from centuries of accumulated advantage. Right, right. right? And so, so even then, you don't see a proportional representation of minority and women-owned business enterprises within government contracting. In fact, I think in New York City, uh, less than 5% of the available government contracts go to women and minorities, which means an overwhelming 95 cents on every dollar are going to white men in a city that's majority female that's by an order of magnitude and, and a and majority minority by a small margin, but nonetheless. And, and, and you sit here and you wonder, you know, why is it that we can't allocate public capital in proportion right, to the demographics of the citizenry? Shouldn't we be focused on public good? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a question for politicians, certainly, and one that we hope to pose to them in the near future. And I'm thinking that with those, that's those, those, those numbers, the statistics, that makes people think, well, mm, I, I shouldn't go into this field or this, this won't work for me. Or, you know, that in itself keeps people from getting into the game. And that's shameful in itself, too. That's, that's absolutely right. And, uh, Certainly, you know, the adage with real estate is that there are no barriers to entry, but there are some big ones. And, and those, those barriers are much taller and much more intractable for, for women and minorities. But what else is important about real estate? Another old adage that's very true is that real estate is the most effective and efficient means by which an individual can generate wealth, which is why redlining uh, and its practice was so effective in eroding black wealth. In fact, uh, in Washington, D.C., the average black household net worth is 181st that 
of the average white family. So every $1 of wealth the black family has, the average white family is $81. That's a direct consequence of redlining. Oh, oh yeah. that's horrible. And so, so, you know, though it's difficult, it is a physical and political necessity for more minorities and women to become real estate entrepreneurs, because it's the only way that we will be able to create transformational and generational wealth within our community, the only way. And, and then therefore, you know, of course, we need to continue to attack and assail the system that perpetuates the systemic oppression, but we also need to find ways to work within it to maximize our bargaining position and maximize our leverage as a community. And so there are things you can do to jump into real estate. Let me, I'm going to stop you right there. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about those things that can be done. Okay. Sounds like a plan. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You are looking at and listening to the 411 Live Real People, Real Talk. We're the NAACP. We don't follow movements, we define movements. Social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to the 411 Live. We are having a conversation with Donahue Peebles III, talking about commercial real estate development. When we left off, we were going into the whole thing about breaking some of these barriers, because we've you've identi- identified some that uh, potential developers run into, and I guess current developers as well. So breaking those barriers, getting through, what do you do? Absolutely. So, uh, and it's a very important question. I know uh, before the break, we talked about sort of the political necessity of, of becoming real estate entrepreneurs. And I think that there's something very, very important about owning and controlling a piece of ground you know, in our communities, right? And, and to control and own our communities, uh, I think is is absolutely essential. And so I, I want to encourage everybody that's listening to please strongly consider uh, a real estate career, both, you know, as, as a primary endeavor, but also secondarily because they're great passive investments as well. Now, one thing that, that you will need, and, and this is the bedrock of, of real estate, is credit. And so the ability to borrow. So, you know, a lot of times at, uh, at various events, folks will come up to me and say, you know, Don, I really want to get started in real estate. I read this book. I took this course. You know, and my first question to them is, you know, um, are you interested in getting a job working for someone else or do you want to do it yourself? And when they say yourself, I say the most important thing you have right now, especially at an entry level, is your credit score. Is it above 750? And that's what you have to focus on first, because that's the foundation that allows you access to capital, particularly federally insured mortgage products that will allow you to purchase assets with very, very little equity. And so just uh, as a high level overview, uh, real estate is purchased uh, with, uh, with two sorts of money, 
Um, the first one is, is equity and, and the second one is debt. Uh, very similarly to a typical home mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. You have a down payment and that's your equity and you have a mortgage and that's your debt. Uh, and you can use that same structure uh, even with federally insured mortgage products, just like many, many, uh, many borrowers today uh, for multifamily buildings. In fact, uh, a great way to buy your first multifamily building is something called house hacking that a number of friends of mine have done. And that's where you use federally insured first-time homebuyer mortgage products to purchase income-producing assets at leverage uh, or loan amounts that would be untenable without these products. Something like 95 or 96% leverage. So for every $1 of purchase price, you only need four cents of equity coming out of your pocket. Oh, that's good. That's good. But you... But bottom line, you have to be prepared to do that. And you were talking about the credit score. Make sure that you're credit ready. That's exactly right. Make sure that you're credit ready. Make sure that your financial health is in good standing. Oftentimes in real estate, they're unforeseeable expenses. It's a lot like going out to sea. You plan for the best or you hope for the best, but you prepare for the worst. Very, very similar in, in a real estate setting. You'll have tenants that'll break things. You'll have base building elements that you know, will be challenged, that'll need repairs, and having an emergency fund, having cash set aside so that you can maintain your building puts you in a position to be successful. Right. You don't want to be one of those landlords that who, that didn't take care of their property. That's, that's exactly right. It's bad for the tenants, it's bad ethically, and it's bad business because at some point, folks will move out. Um, I think the second thing that, uh, that, that you really got to be focused on uh, is being local. Real estate uh, is, is a sort of industry where the farther away from the dirt you are, the worse you are at it. Mm. You want to know block by block, street by street, the markets that you're planning on investing in, because that's where you're going to be able to understand value, right? I always tell people, you know, if you've lived there for a long time, you know what everybody's paying in rent, you know, which stores perform well and which ones turn over and how much they're paying, right? You'll start to really get this holistic understanding of the market itself and be able to capitalize on undervalued opportunities. That makes sense. And I would say, you know, look for the worst house on the best block. Oh, that's because good advice. Yeah, that makes sense. And that way, when you improve it, you'll be able to create a big value arbitrage, a big difference in what its cost was or what its value was when you got it and uh, what its terminal value is when you finished all the work you've done bringing it up to speed. Well, you know, that reminds me of all those different shows, Flip This House and that kind of thing. And that's kind of, you know, their motto of doing it, getting a, a house that's pretty, pretty run down, fixing it up and then getting a, a nice profit from that. Um, the that's exactly right. And, and I love those shows. I think one of the things you don't see on those shows is, is how many times it takes to get to yes. Um, it's like going to a restaurant. When you, you see, I mean, at least you go to a fancy restaurant, it's got a menu that you got to flip through three or four times, you know, and it, you see a number of things you really like, right? Yeah. But you always, in my opinion, you should always read the whole menu because you don't know what the best possible option is. Same thing when you're looking for real estate projects. You want to read the whole menu when you go to a restaurant. So you want to make sure that you're identifying the opportunities and being 
very, very disciplined about what and where you're investing. Uh, and so what I say is, if you're not saying no 99 times out of 100, then you're not being discerning enough. Mm. Very good. And then you don't, you don't see that on the TV shows, right? No, I mean, they look at houses, they pick one, they're like, this is the one. Right. And, and, and they, I mean, you know, and I'm sure they, they look at, at hundreds, right. And, mm-hmm. and they have a, they have an evaluation process that's multi-layered, but as a consumer, you don't see that. If you're not a professional in the space. You don't know. Right. 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 Well, before we run out of time, I want to get to this point and we can go back to the other, you know, more in that vein afterwards, but I want to find out the people's corporation. Are you guys interested or looking at Milwaukee for possibilities? Absolutely. Um, So in the People's Corporation, uh, I run a separate vertical, uh, Legacy Real Estate Development. And uh, what what Legacy does is is we invest in affordable housing. We we, we construct affordable housing. And and one of the things I love about Milwaukee uh, is how intentional and deliberate they've been about cultivating minority and women entrepreneurs, particularly, excuse me, through a program, it's called the Acres Program, uh, and a number of incredibly talented real estate developers have come out of this program and I've crossed them professionally. A uh, gentleman who comes to mind named Brandon Rule, a uh, local Milwaukee gentleman, uh, has done a number of affordable housing projects in Milwaukee also investing in Washington, D.C., which is where we cross paths. But I've been incredibly impressed with the expertise in the Milwaukee space and have gone up a number of times to help identify and underwrite affordable housing projects in Milwaukee. The city and the state do an exceptional job in financing the construction of affordable housing, something that they're very intentional and deliberate about. And the quality of developers that are local that I can partner with, right? Because I, I don't want to be far away from the dirt either. Right, right. I'm not, local, uh, I'm, not, I'm not local to Milwaukee. And so it's important for me to identify and align myself with talented developers locally. And so uh, I've been incredibly impressed. And, and Milwaukee's on, on, on our target list. Uh, I'm planning at the end of, uh, of quarantine to go on up there another time. Uh, my business partner that I've done a number of deals with in uh, in DC is is a Milwaukee native as well. Okay, uh, and, uh, and 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 I'm hopeful that uh, we can find something to get done. Well, I'm sure you can find it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can find it. So that's that's really great news for me. I'm you know I'm I'm glad that you're looking at. We need your talent and your expertise and and that kind of thing. And going back to uh, entrepreneurs you know, getting into the real estate, doing their thing. Uh, Would you say that finding maybe mentors or someone who's been in the business for a while, kind of coming under them or at least having them for advice would be a good thing? So maybe they don't have to go through the pitfalls that the veteran entrepreneur went through? That's absolutely right. I think in any industry or in any endeavor that's complex, nuanced and and, and in many respects intractable, aligning yourself with people who have done it before and leveraging their knowledge, expertise, and resources is essential. And that's very, very true in real estate. The challenge is that for many minority and women real estate entrepreneurs, there isn't someone who looks like them that shares their experience that's in a position to be a mentor. 
it's much more rare. And so for us, uh, and, and, and something that we do at a, at a corporate level, it's very important is that my father and I make sure that, that we can be as accessible as possible. If you reach out to us on social media, if you reach out to us via email, we will respond. Maybe it'll take some time, but we will respond because we know that there aren't necessarily tons of folks out there and certainly not tons of folks that everybody has access to who are able to give uh, those pieces of information. Uh, but but I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And uh, I would say that with the exception of credit, relationships and network are the most, is the most important aspect of being a real estate entrepreneur. Wow. All right. Get ready because you may be getting a bunch of uh, uh, emails or, you know, correspondence coming your way with questions for people who are looking and listening to this podcast. Absolutely. And, and happy to answer them. It's a ton of fun, um, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we can find a way to, to, to share my contact information. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's easy to find me on online. So uh, be looking forward to it. One last question, uh, because I know our time is getting low, but it, when you're talking about this and people hearing about real estate or watching those those shows where they flip the houses and think, think you know, I want to do that. Is this something for everybody? I think so. Um, and, and, I, and I pause for a minute because I, I don't think that real estate is very complicated. Uh, in fact, I think it's easy. Uh, if you can do sixth grade math, if you can add, subtract, multiply, and divide, you can do all of the math I do better than I can on a daily basis. It's not a complicated business, technically. You can't show up tomorrow with the knowledge you have and go be a lawyer. You certainly can't perform open heart surgery, but I promise you with the ability to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, you can invest in real estate. So I would encourage everybody not to, to be you know, swayed by complicated acronyms that people use, you know, uh, talking about cap rates and, and ROI, IRR, right? Those, those are technical terms that relate to very, very simple concepts. Mm. And as an industry, we sometimes make it seem a bit more inaccessible than in fact it is. Now, that's not to say that real estate is easy. It's very technically simple, but uh, though I don't like to quote Ronald Reagan much, he said, uh, there, there may be simple, there are no simple answers. There are no easy answers. There may be simple. You can tell I don't quote it too much. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but real estate is simple, but it's not easy. And the challenges come in interacting with other human beings, creating mutually beneficial win-win transactions, maintaining and cultivating relationships through stressful and uncertain circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. And navigating, I think, the ever-changing waters of the industry. And that requires discipline and persistence. If you gotta say no 99 times to get to yes, that's an emotional problem, not a technical one but one that you still have to get through. You have to make sure that you're disciplined, that you're detail-oriented, and that you're focused and that you're not going to be dissuaded, right? You're not going to sort of lose your, your strength and your sargacity and your persistence because 
you haven't found the right deal. I promise they're out there. And the more you're in the mix, the more likely it is that you'll find the opportunity and be able to take it. Very good. Very good. That's a nice way. That's You tied the bow. That's a nice way to end it. Um, thank you so much for giving us part of your day. Um, you've given us a lot of information. And I hope that a lot of people are... Uh, interested in real estate. I hope you've sparked a lot of interest. At least they will explore it. And maybe that can help them build a lot lot more entrepreneurs, minority entrepreneurs and women within the Milwaukee community. That would be nice to see. So thank Uh, you. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on and and you all are certainly well in your way. There's there's tons of talented folks in real estate in Milwaukee already. Hopefully we can add a few more. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Uh, By the way, we are a nonprofit organization. So if you are so inclined to contribute to our endeavors, please go to the 411live.org website. You can find past uh, podcasts on any of the podcast platforms. Of course, you can also go to YouTube. We're there. If you go there, please subscribe. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk.